Yes, we are on a journey, and that journey began uh, 100 days before New Year's. And uh, the Lord had spoken and said that there was 100 days of prayer for breakthrough. And uh, as we hit New Year's Eve, then the Lord began to give us a greater understanding of that process of breaking, which we've been sharing and talking about. And uh, while I had thought it was going to go on one sequence, as I shared with you in worship, uh, the Lord spoke uh, in a dream to me and then by the Holy Spirit just uh, two nights ago. And I'll share with that in a moment. Let's just seek him for a covering of prayer. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the covering of your Holy Spirit, the leading of your Holy Spirit. We thank you, God our Father, that you have bestowed an inheritance upon us as children, sons and daughters. Father, we thank you so much for that. And Lord, we understand that while we're still in these bodies here on this earth, that we are always in a process, that we are always your project, that you are shaping us. And we also know, Father, that in you we live and move and have our being. And so, Father, we've come together today to see what you have by your spirit and by your word to share with us. We thank you, Lord, that we aren't those who stagger along looking for direction or lost in the wilderness, Father, not understanding that we are children of God and that we do have a defined place, that we are people of destiny and that we have a function and a process. So, Father, here we stand. Lord, we're not great. You're great. But we want to do great things for you, Father. So help us, Lord. Take us to that place and show us this morning the place of next, Father. Let it begin to kindle in our spirits with an excitement, with an anticipation, and allow us to resolve to move into that place, not to pass it by, not to miss it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Well, I want to reiterate uh, a little bit. I sent an e-blast out, and I shared that um, it was after the third watch, and most of you or some of you know that I've taught on the watches of God, and for some reason for years now, he finds it in his uh, will to waken me for the third watch, which is typically around 3 a.m. in the morning. And uh, sometimes it's a short time, sometimes it's a long time, sometimes I don't go back to sleep, sometimes I do. In this particular moment, after the third watch prayer, and I was laying back and I got into the twilight zone, um, as, as some of you do, there's a time when you're half asleep, half awake, it's a twilight zone, and uh, you're, you're rested and you know that you're really not aware of, of your surroundings and circumstances, but maybe you're not completely out. Well, I was in that twilight zone, and I had a, a dream that also moved like a vision. And in it, I was walking along a very wide uh, uh, trail, and the trail had almost the looks of a countryside cabin-type affair. It was very calm, and it had an ambiance and a tone about it that was comfortable and peaceful. And I knew that we were walking uh, in, in something that was beautiful and wonderful in creation. And 
there wasn't an intent to really get anywhere, and there was an entourage. We were walking together, and I noticed as I looked to the right that there was a wooden split rail fence, and it ran quite a long ways, and we were walking alongside it, and I was taking in what was inside that fence, and I began to see materials, and some of them were stacked up on pallets, and some of them were in bundles, and I began to realize that these were some type of building materials. They were being stored up for something, and they weren't old, and they weren't covered, so I realized that they were about to be used. They were staged for something, and I noticed that they blended into the type of construction that I was seeing as we were walking these, these uh, log cabins, these, this, this rustic, almost a ranch-type look that was very natural, very common. It felt like it just blended in purposely uh, and perfectly into the creation and the environment around it. And then all of a sudden, as I looked to the left, there was a perpendicular building, and it too was a wooden-type building, and it was off with sawed-off trees and things, very natural, very perfectly put together, as I perceived. But then, written on the side of it, the long side of it facing me, was the word next. And I immediately wanted to look at the other buildings that I had walked by. They were smaller, and they had already gone off in the distance. But the Spirit of the Lord spoke to me, and he said, don't turn back. He said, this is the place of next. And I began to wonder whether that was a good word or a bad word. The scriptures began to fly through my head of Moses, of Lot, of Abraham, and all of the different Bible testimonies that I know. And then I decided to lay it all down, and I said, Lord, I'm going to pursue this place of next. I want to understand it. And so I have for the last couple days, and I'm a little amazed at how God works, even though he's done it so many times, but when God moves in a fresh way and in a fresh moment, isn't it always amazing? Isn't it wonderful? Doesn't it feel special? Doesn't it just allow us to connect with him in a way that is good to reconnect with him, where you know how intimately he's involved with us and how his spirit can speak to our spirit in a language and in a way to awaken us to something we weren't even contemplating. We're here believing God for breakthrough, and our breakthrough is to the place of next. I told you he would reveal to us in this fast what the place was, and now it's personal, and it's corporate, and it's for this church, and it's for you and your families. It's the place of next. So I want to deal with that for a little bit. I wanted you to know that that entourage that I was walking with uh, was a very mixed bunch of people. It was very diverse, uh, older, younger, taller, shorter, male, female, different color, uh, very diverse entourage. So I believe it's a kingdom message because that reflects the kingdom. There wasn't really faces that I tried to recognize because I realized it was a move of God and we were just walking. And in that instance, I want to share with you what the King James Version, there is, by the way, a King James Version dictionary, if you don't know. I have so many books and things. I have books scattered in 
three or four different places, to my wife's chagrin, all over the place. Um, let, me sh let me share what it says about next. Next is the nearest in place. The nearest in place. What it means is that there's nothing between it and something else. Next means you're about to touch it. You're about to enter into it. It's the next place. There's nothing between where you've come and where you're going to go. Next is there. There's nothing intervening. It's, it's immediately preceding, the word immediate. There's an urgency to next. Next means there's an order of things. And so this is the next thing in the order of our lives, of your lives, of my life, of this ministry, of our callings in God, and in the bigger scheme of things, in our call, because we live on this earth at this time, to prepare the way for the coming of the Lord. Next. Next means it's nearest in time. It's not just distance. And so what it means is that there may be a gap of time between this message today and you manifesting into next and us manifesting into next together. But I'm believing that it's going to be sooner than later because God spoke it to us. We're breaking through. And I believe that as we have an expectation to believe God, that next will manifest, and I'm going to deal with that. So it's as if it's the next day or the next hour or the next minute, but it's before the very next most important thing in your life. This is the next. Next deals in degrees. It deals in quality, not just quantity. And so the next best thing is what we should expect. And the next best thing is grounded in the Word of God, which we shall review together. And it has a quality and a rank. And it's in right or relation to who you are, so this is the next best quality thing for you and me, according to where we are right now. So it's immediate. We understand that it's moving with time. We understand it's moving with place. We understand it's moving with quality. Let's look at a scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, if we will a moment, please. 3.18. Now, this is one of my foundational scriptures. Uh, it's about the glory of God. And I've done some very extensive study, teaching, and writing about the glory of God. In this particular Revelation, the Pauline Revelation in Corinthians, what we see it says, but we all with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Breaking it down without getting into too much detail, we are looking into the mirror of God. If we're in Jesus Christ, then it's as if we're looking into the face of the glory of God himself through Jesus Christ. Our lens is Jesus Christ. And it's by the Spirit of the Lord. And it's as if it says to us that we are changed into that same image of that glory, but it's moving from a glory to another glory. Otherwise, to the next glory. 
We're moving from one glory to the next glory. And the word of God tells us that this is a process that we should embrace, to change, to transform, to move. Now, we're not going to deal too much with change today because I've said it over and over. We dealt with it some yesterday, or I'm sorry, last Sunday, that we are a project. Remember the, the word of the Lord was we're a project, and that that project is he's shaping us, he's building us, he's doing things with us. Well, while he's doing that, part of that project is your next. And that next is moving from the glory of where you've come from to the glory of where you're going. In 2 Corinthians 4, verses 6 and 7, again about the glory in you. For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we, you, you have this treasure, this treasure of the glory of God in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Now let me extend that a little bit. What that means is that the place of next is not your doing. Yes, you need to cooperate. I need to cooperate. God will not let us go through that door unless we walk with him. And we'll talk in a moment about how we could walk right past the place of next or turn around and go back or just miss it completely because we're blinded by self. But that excellency is of God, which is good news for you and me, and I'll say especially for me, because that means I can't mess it up. That means the place of next is there. It's already waiting. I can't mess it up as long as I stay in him. Even in my mistakes, I can't mess it up. Paul said this in Philippians 3, verses 12 through 14. We did a whole study on this, didn't we? Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that which for which Jesus Christ has laid hold of me. Stop. That I may lay hold of what? The place of next. For what Jesus Christ has already laid hold of it for me. So I'm going to join hands with him so that I can connect with what he already has for me. Paul says, brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended. That means to have already achieved what God has had for me or have already received it. But one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Your next, my next, is the upward in the call of God. It's not downward. It's not even horizontal. It's climbing up. It's on a stairway into the heaven of God. And so your next is a step up. And that step up says, Paul says, forgetting those things that are behind me, well, you know, don't ever feel condemned because you can't forget the past. That's not what he's talking about. You'd have to have some kind of a, of, of a malady, a problem to, to, have, to lose your memory. We don't want to lose our memories. So it's not saying forget the past. What it's saying is, is that we can't literally not remember, but what it means is that Paul was saying, I won't let my past failures or successes influence me such that I miss the next. 
And so our challenge, our practical challenge, and a practical way to deal with this is don't dwell on your failures and don't replay them in your mind and don't think you should have done it differently even if there was damage done because it's done. And so if you're trying to rework what was, then what are you doing? You're stuck in the past. And that means that we miss the next. And then we have the adverse effect when we dwell on successes. You know, very successful people have a hard time walking with God. And very soon, the things of this earth become brighter and the things of God become dimmer. And there's a self-sufficiency. Or there's a sufficiency even for people that know their God and love him that say, God has provided me everything I need and I'm just going to exist at this lifestyle right now. Many of you know I call it the old new wine. We've come out of some experiences. If you've been walking in the Lord more than a day or a week, you've come out of something. Something moved you. If you've had an experience with the Holy Spirit, you've been empowered. You've heard and see things that you didn't understand prior to that. And now you've been enlightened. And we come through different uh, congregational experiences. I know I went through many of them. I went through the Jewish temple. I went through the Catholic uh, high school. I, I, I went through Protestantism, a Methodist. I, I visited the Lutherans. I went through Charismatic, the Pentecostal, the Messianic. And I'm here, and I don't know what to define this as at Touch Heaven, but here we are. But this I do know, that all of that, if I just hold on to that and I'm refusing to allow myself to drink of a new wine, that that new wine becomes an old wine. And I'm drinking the old wine because I'm expecting the same result. And I'm looking back. And what becomes familiar can become your vice. So we have to not let it become familiar. We have to continue to build upon the foundations of what God has given us with a fresh revelation so we move into the place of next. And so sometimes... These successes get in the way of the new next. And sometimes what we expect out of our successes isn't really the truth of what God has for us in our next. It's not all he wants of us. And we've defined ourselves by our failures or our successes, but the truth of the matter is God doesn't define us by those. And so this point about going to the place of next. Don't look back. And don't be held back. And don't withhold. We are in a prophetic time. Now, you might say, Frank, you know, if you were born, any time was a prophetic time for you sometime in your life, that's true. But not many that were born could truly embrace according to the prophecies according to the regathering of Israel, according to what God has been doing, according to what's happening in the earth, according to the signs in the earth, according to the measuring stick of prophetic time, not many could say that they're pretty confident they're in the end of times. Not many could say that they have an anticipation that Jesus Christ is going to return. Not many could say that they're called to prepare the way for the coming of the Lord because most of those who believed in God were preparing themselves to go to the Lord. We've been called to prepare the way for the 
coming of the Lord. So you live in a very specific prophetic time. So doesn't it make sense that your destiny is beginning to accelerate? Doesn't it make sense? And I don't want to say rational sense. How about spirit sense? How about discernment? That you're moving from this glory to another glory and to another glory into the place of next. And that place of next is the best place for you now, but there will be another one. And that other one will get closer and closer to the coming of the Lord. And so that being said, I want to just speak with you again about what Paul said. Paul said, I don't count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, and what? Reaching forward to those things which are ahead. Now, I could get you to get up and turn the lights out, and have you close your eyes, and we'd have some fun with you bumping into each other by moving around. And I'd tell you to reach out, and you'd probably grab somebody by the nose or poke them in the eye. Something would happen, right? But we don't need to do that. We understand if you just close your eyes and go like this, you realize that it doesn't take long to where you become uneasy in your environment. You're looking back, but you're trying to reach forward, and you don't even know what you're grabbing. You don't even know if it's right there in front of you, and maybe you'll stagger, or maybe you'll begin to lose your balance, or maybe you'll turn around and start to go like this and reach back. Paul said, reaching forward. I'm reaching forward. Now, the book of Luke is a very prophetic chapter. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees in Luke 17 and 26. And he's talking about what's going to happen before he comes back for his kingdom. He takes them from the question where they're trying to trap him. Is he the, is he the Messiah now? To where he talks to them about he, he's the Messiah who's going to come back again. Totally goes over them. They don't understand it. But we do. Because what he says in verse 26 and as it was in the days of Noah, so will it also be in the days of the Son of Man. The days of the Son of Man are his second coming. It's when he's coming back. And he says it will be like that in these days. In these days. In these days. They ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so will it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. And in that day, he who is on the housetop and his goods are in the house, let him not come down to take them away. Don't look back. Don't go back. Don't hold on to what was. Don't give value to what already has no meaning. And likewise, the one who is in the field, let him not turn back. And then these three words, these are cutting words from Jesus. You know, we've often heard, and I've preached on it, and we've all heard it too many times, of the smallest scripture in the New Testament. Jesus wept. Well, let me tell you, the one that's right next to it was three words. Remember Lot's wife. Remember 
Lot's wife. God told them to leave by the angels. We know the whole story. Sodom and Gomorrah was so defiled. It was so emblazoned with the sins to heaven of the rebellion, the sexual immorality, the lust. It was a demoralized society. How many of you know we have several pockets of demoralized societies in this country, in this region, in this world, and in our churches? Denominations splitting and fighting over whether they should embrace homosexuality from the pulpit or not. And so in Sodom and Gomorrah, God, by his grace, tells Lot, get his family and go. And the only ones that will go with him are his two daughters and his wife. And he says one thing. As you go into the plain and in the field, and he gave them all night to get far away to Zoar. And in the morning it said the sun rose. He said, don't look back. Lot's wife, she turned around and looked back. Her body was being delivered into the place of next, but her mind and her soul were in the place of before. And when she turned around and looked back, it says what? She was turned into a pillar of salt. What value was salt? If you've ever been to the Dead Sea, there's so much salt, you don't want any more salt. It's a salty place. So I believe they had a lot of salt there then. She became the commonality that she was looking back at. She looked back to the place of salt and she became salt. When we look back to the place we've come from, we once again become that thing, that person, that place, that hurt, that pain, that failure, or even worse so and many times that success. We don't need more. We don't expect more. But you see, if you're in the kingdom of God and God is trusting you as a steward, he's trusting you as a steward to invest for the kingdom of God. It's not that we rest in comfort. It's that we continue to press forward and upward, reaching out for the services of the kingdom of God. Because to whom much is given, much is required. And when we're a steward that's good in one thing, God gives us more. But he gives us more to invest into the kingdom of God. For us and our lives and who we are, it's personal. Yes, it's personal. God cares about everything about you. And so, yes, you need to embrace and get the vision of the place of next for you and your family, your loved ones, your environment. The place of next for your spheres of influence, whatever they are. Our place of next for this church and this ministry. Oh, I feel it coming. It's stirring me. It's stirring me. I, didn't, I don't know still exactly what it is, but I know it's the place of next now. I knew last week and beginning over 100 days ago that we were moving forward for breaking and a breakthrough. And I wasn't sure what it is, but now God has told me it's the place of next. And I don't know what's in that place of next, but I can't wait to see. Amen. I don't know how I fit or I don't fit in what God wants to do, but I know this, it's the place of next. And so we see, remember, Lot's wife. She turned and she looked back. Let me speak for a moment about the church and about ministry. And this will speak to some of you about what you want to do with your lives and what God has called us to do. 
hopefully we join hands and do better together with the same heart. You see, when, you, when you're in unity of agreement that we have an expectation of what God's going to do for you in your life and for us in, in this church and for our lives together, when we come to that unity of agreement, it becomes stronger than a threefold cord. Don't ever just settle for a threefold cord. A hundredfold cord is stronger than a threefold cord. And ten can put a whole army to flee. One won't do it. Never said three would either. But ten will. Put a whole army to flee. We can do a lot with a little if our hearts are knit together in unity. That's why it's good in the corporate fellowship of the body of Christ when somebody says, I have a need, and, and it goes out and everyone begins to pray for it. When the doctor's diagnosis comes in and it's frightening, and we have people of faith that stand up and say, bless the doctor, but we don't receive that word. When the bill collector's knocking at the door and the heat's about to go off and somebody says, help me, it's good that we can help. I was sharing with Jimmy, we were talking on, in a car the other day about the greatest Christian apologetic there is. I'll pray for that when we can do it. Jesus didn't say pray to give your brother your coat. He said give it. You know, I love it when Christians that can do something tell me, I'm going to pray about that, brother. I say, oh, yeah, I'll bet you do. And I say, Lord, forgive me. And I get careful about me telling people I'm praying. If I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. And if I'm not going to do it, I'm not going to say anything. How many people tell you in a day, I'm going to pray for you about that? You're not even on their mind the next day. We need to be careful about our words. We need to do what we say, and we need to say what we do. Jesus talked. I don't even know why I'm going here. He talked about the Pharisees, didn't he? And he said, don't do as they do, because they don't, don't do as they say, because they don't do as they say. And he says, what happens is you have the blind leading the blind. And I have a feeling that that's what's happening a lot today in ministry. We have blind leading the blind. On the paths that aren't the next, it's just sustaining what is. Because you see, to move into the place of next is daring. <laughs> you have to cut things. You have to get out of your comfort zone. You have to believe God for something that's bigger and better than what you have. And I don't know about you, but in ministry with me, when God stretches me, it costs money. Let's just put the, the rubber where it hits the road. It's, it's not just saying, okay, Lord, I'm going to get up at the 3 o'clock watch. He and I got that settled a long time ago. More because he does it and not me. That was settled. It wasn't about picking our family back up, coming back to Canfield seven and a half years ago. He, he did that. That's done. It's about when God says, start a Bible college, and, and Patty, you're going to shake in your boots. He told me the last two days, son, why aren't you believing me to make this accredited university? Man, did it knock me over. Because everyone told us how hard it is, Lord. Oh, really? I said, Lord, I, d d d I d d don't know how to d d do this. He said, yes, I know you're stupid, son, but I'm going to show you how to do this. I said, Lord, this, 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 is, this, this costs money. Lord said, yes, it does cost money, but watch what I'm going to do. You see, the vision was beginning to get formed by my own looking back, by my own 
lack of failure, by my own needs, by my own understanding. I said, Lord, I'm still young, but I'm getting older. This is a long work. He said, so? I gave him all kind of reasons. And then I said, I'm surely there's somebody better at this than we are. And then he got quiet. And when God gets quiet, I think he's telling you, really? Do you want to pass by the place of next, son? Or do you want to come in and sup with me at the place of next? How many of you have a place of next in your life? Cut the ropes. Cut the ropes. Cut the ropes. Don't give God the agenda of how you get to the place of next. If Jesus had an agenda of how to get to the place of next, we'd still be burning in hell. It's a walk of faith. Let's move on to it. I've got good stuff for you. Let me see how much time do I have. Oh, I got lots of time. It's only 11.35. I have enough time to finish this, and I won't keep you too late. And I know my wife says I shouldn't say it, but if you put a roast in your kitchen and come to this church and expect to get home by 12 to let it out, let your roast burn. Stop at the grocery store, get some cornflakes and some milk, you'll be good. You'll get through the day. And if you're on the fast, just buy some vegetables. Chew on some grass. You'll be fine. Consider that we are a church. Let me speak as the pastor of the church. We are a church with a foundation. We've been building this foundation for a while, and the people that preceded us here, maybe not immediately before us, but those who preceded us here way back starting in 1798, they began to lay a foundation for this ministry. And some of you will see chalk marks that Ralph was putting and Brian on the floor, and it was according to a chart of scriptures we wrote when this was just a barren concrete floor with the ceiling coming in, water flushing out, no heat, no electricity, mold throughout the church. It was destroyed. God said rebuild it. And, we, and our faith went into these scriptures all around the place, and we're, we're, we're bringing them back out of the ground because this place is built upon a strong foundation of the word of God with many tears Many witnesses, many generations sowing into the work of God, believing that there would be a lighthouse of glory that would come from this little place in Campfield, Ohio. And we've had some streams of it. We've, we've, we've influenced different things, both in this country and around the world. And God's used us in some areas, but we've yet begun to do what God has called us to do. He just gave us a taste of what he has. Because he's doing a work in us. He's, he's doing a work in me. I wasn't ready for the place of next. But I think I am now. And I know he's going to keep work on me as I get there. But I look back and I see how ignorant I was of so many things. And how much more I had to learn. And how much more study I had to do. How much more patience I needed. How much more I needed to strengthen. How much more I needed to learn grace and mercy. How much more self needs to die? So we're getting ready to walk into a place of next, and we know that's not the final solution. We just know it's the next place of next, the next best place to go. So as a church, we're building on the firm foundation of the Word of God. 
always, always hungry, thirsty, expecting, and willing to receive fresh revelation that's grounded in that word. We want something fresh. We don't want to recycle what's already been recycled. I get so tired of hearing prophetic words are the same word. I got saved in 1980. From 1981 on, on New Year's Eve, I heard the same old thing from the same, all the, this is your best year. The windows of heaven are open to you this year. And, and, and every year, you go back and you hear the same thing, sometimes from the same people. Or then you get a prophetic word that you read. I saw one this week where somebody came out and they said, uh, God uh, uh, permitted General Soleimani to be killed. Oh, really? That's a prophetic word? Um, God is shaking Iran. Oh, that's a prophetic word? Seriously. And, and the other one was that that we need to understand that God has his hand on, on our president in this country. That's a prophetic word. Huh? Why do people need to be prophetic about nothing? That's not prophetic. That's political. That's a scientist. I'm a political scientist. I know all that stuff. I am. That's my degree. I don't know. I guess one of them. I told my wife yesterday, two days ago, I said, you know what, honey, I just realized I'm a political scientist. She goes, what? I said, I got a degree in political science. That's, they call us political scientists. I said, so I'm a scientist. She, she goes, hey. I said, that's why I have to, to read and eat and watch all this stuff that's going around in the world. It's in my blood. Let me tell you something. We live in a very prophetic time. But very few are discerning the essence of the prophetic time. Most are parroting what they hear somebody else say, or they're looking back and telling you prophetically what is, but it already was. I call those mirror view rear prophets. They look to the rear view mirror and then tell you that way they can't be wrong. There's no risk, there's no daring. There's no dying to self to hear the voice of God and putting it out. So, a faithful church. Our place of next as a church is a faithful church. Not that we haven't been faithful. God is saying, I want you to move in a greater faith. A greater faith than what we've already moved in. And we know that we can always have more faith. He says, ask me and I will give it to you. But we need it because we're moving in a very diverse and secularized world and secularized body of Christ. God is sifting out his church now. Ezekiel 34 is coming alive. That's a place of next. God is breaking the yokes off of people's necks that have been chained to the old, chained to the new, chained to systems, loyalties to things instead of themselves to God. I'm not looking for people to have loyalty to a church. I'm looking for people that want to walk together with loyalty to God. Amen. Some people are so stuck where they're at, they can't move and they're missing God because they want to be loyal to what was. I don't say to disrespect what was, but don't let that hold you back. 
I'd still be in the Jewish temple. And I'd be before that in the world. Probably be dead. We'd all be somewhere. God always moves us to the next place of next. And I'm not talking about a physical place. God is the Spirit. We must worship Him in spirit and truth. I want to be where the Spirit of God is alive and moving. I expect a change. And I'm ready, and I've been sold out, and I know, Lord, I haven't sold out everything, and I thought I have, but I'll sell out more. I meant what I said. I remember the middle of the night when I sang that song out to God. I remember when I said, take all of me. Take my life. And I also regretfully remember all the times that I haven't let him have it all. I'm the only one. I know the rest of you, you're, you're walking right. Thank you, Brother Jim. I appreciate it. We regret it. But we don't regret it with condemnation because we are the righteousness of God in Christ. And that's what envelops us and makes us ready to move into the next place of next because... We can forget those things are behind us because he forgets them. So who are we going to go before the Lord and remind him our failures? When he says, why are you doing that? I paid the ultimate price. I gave you my son. He gave his blood. He's your advocate. He's already told me you're good. You're okay. You're righteous. So... And on the other hand, we've seen too much of the sensational at the expense of the foundational. Now, that may sound strange coming for me because I walk in a, in a life of sensational. I expect miracles every day. Miracles to me aren't common practice. It is the continuous display of the power of Jesus Christ in our lives. I expect the provision in God in all we do. I thank the Lord that he covers my steps and my mistakes and my mishaps. I thank Jesus that he promises healing not only for me but my whole house. I thank him that every step I take is directed of God. I believe that. I live in that world, but not at the sake of diluting those things that are balanced for the body of Christ. It's good to pursue the supernatural, but not only the supernatural. We need a foundation of the Word of God. We need our children and ourselves, and we need to remind ourselves the Word of God, because if we're not embellishing the whole Word of God, we've made ourselves very vulnerable. And then we fly off into imbalanced relationships with God, and His hands are out, but we're only expecting Him to work the way we expect Him to work. God's a person with a major personality. We only understand a little glimpse of it, just a little bit. I mean, my wife and I, we've been, what, 37 years going on, some more, and I'm still trying to figure her out. <laughs> I think she's got me figured out, but I don't want to know what she has to say about that. I don't think a week passes where I don't step and look and say, wow, I didn't really get that before. Imagine God, all the things that God has for us. And we want to be stuck on a few. You've heard me say many times, 
all those messages are good. I love them. I eat them. I, I, I respect the people that give them. The faith message is wonderful. The love message is great. The grace message is good. The supernatural, I love it. The joy is wonderful. Provision is great. I'm, I don't want to be poor. Prosperity, go on. Bring it on. It's good. Love, come on. Love is good, but it's not the only thing. It's a full buffet. And God has things that Paul could only say this. He says, I can't even describe them to you anymore. Oh, the ways of God, they're so amazing. They're so beyond my understanding. Those are the things that I want to see. I want God to drop the place of next into my life. I want him to drop those words of revelation in that, that I'm not hearing taught all over the place and everywhere. I want something fresh. I want a fresh wine. You know, something about, there was, how many of you know what Dago red wine is? Right? I mean, we, we're from this area. Dago, I'm Italian, so I'm allowed to say it. I remember after my, long after my grandfather died, I used to help him. He died when I was 16. He was like the number one man in my life. And we'd make wine. He did most of the work. I just helped do the physical stuff. And I remember not having gone down into the old little hand-dug cellar in his little farmhouse for years. And it was later in my 20s, and I went down, and there was a jug of Dago red wine there. And I thought, wow, this is great. And I envisioned this great spaghetti dinner with the Dago red wine being poured out and everybody having a little glass and getting the chill deep inside. And when I cracked it open, it was terrible. It was vinegar. There was stuff growing in it. I didn't know what to do with it. It was almost like sacrilegious. Do I dump it out? Do I try to strain it? Do I try to re What do I do with it? And then I realized it had lost its time. And that's what happens with old new wine. It loses its time. And it becomes a salt. Becomes as common as what you had, which isn't enough anymore. You know my prayer for you, it's the same for me, that you become dissatisfied with the old wine. That it won't satisfy you, that it, the taste will be terrible. That you'll see stuff floating around it and you're going to say, I want to recycle that when I could have fresh wine. Huh? How many of you are willing to say, uh, okay, Frank, I'll agree with you on that one. Not everybody. Some of you are like, let me think. You keep thinking. I'll keep praying. Okay. So, Jesus said, remember Lot's wife. Don't look back. And he said, I'm coming. Let me say this to you. One cannot walk straight into their destiny, into their promise, into the place of next, if you're looking back. I already said to you, you could stumble, you could slow down, you could totally abandon it, you could walk into a tree. Anything could happen. We are in that place of the last days and the end times, and it's spiritually bizarre. Yeah, it is. It's strange. It's new. It didn't happen before. John the Baptist was the bridge between what was. Jesus said that he had the law and the prophets, and then came John. And then after John, what? He introduced Jesus, and they intersected. John and the law and the prophets intersected. And Jesus and John, they intersected. And even John, at the point of intersection, he didn't understand the place of next. Is that really you? This isn't. You're my cousin. We played together in Egypt. 
Our parents hit us so Herod wouldn't kill us. We went to the temple together. You, you, you were the brightest guy there, but still you're my cousin. He didn't understand the place of next till his head got cut off. We're in the place of next. And now you have Jesus, and here we stand as the spirit of Elijah standing between the, the spirit of, 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 of John. Jesus himself said, the spirit of Elijah that's crying out, behold, the Son of Man is coming again. We're standing between this kingdom of the church age and the one that's coming, the kingdom age of Jesus on earth. There we are. We're the, we're the intersection. And it's called the major place of next. And what God is calling us to is to begin to act like we're in the place of next. How fervent are we? What really matters to us? Do we want to multiply and replicate and be like all the things that are before us? And for those of you who are in ministry, and I know some of you watch this, don't try to duplicate what's already been before you. Don't try to be a big televangelist and, or sell 60 million books. If God does it, he does it. But that's maybe not a good footprint to follow in this intersection of the two kingdoms. Maybe it's fresh. Maybe it's new. Maybe it's a bunch of people in blue jeans that don't care. Are we really ready for the generation that's lost to come and get excited at church? Are we really ready? Are we willing to meet them and talk with them and be with them at where they're at? Are we? Are we? Are you? Are you? Am I? That's what I hunger and thirst for. That's my passion. My passion is to see people with all of the gifts of God sewed up in their lives and prophesied by Christ before they were born, ready to explode and come out, and they don't even know. That should be our passion to prepare the way for the coming of the Lord. John's message wasn't motivational. <laughs> John wasn't seeker-friendly. And guess who else wasn't? J.C. You vipers, your father's the devil. You're the blind leading the blind. You wouldn't know truth if it smacked you in the face. You throw the things of God to dogs. You're thieves. You're adulterers. You're hypocrites. Woo. That'll get you membership in a church. <laughs> the place of next. What are we willing to do at the place of next? I have to share this. I should read it to you, but I'll just share it to you. I get all kind of stuff from people. Most of it they don't show me. Letters, social media, threats, telling me what I'm not and what I am. Most of it not good. Not too many people write and say, oh, we love you, thank you so much, keep it going. You get a few, but, you know. I got one this last week from God. Maybe the guy's watching too much God friended me or something. I don't know. <laughs> and so he goes on with this colorful vocabulary. I actually had to look one of the words up. Perfidious. He used the word perfidious. 
And he went on about all kinds of things. And, and it was very eloquent, except he was saying that Jesus can't be proven. And the word of God is really the word of man. And he's God. I got it from God. He told me he was God. And then when he was all done, he said, and if you would like to know me better, he said, here's my address. And guess where God lives? Wilkshire Boulevard in Los Angeles. <laughs> That's not my place of next. <laughs> Jim, I'm going to turn them over to you, let you have some fun with them. <laughs> Oh my, oh my, should I laugh or should I cry? Should I try to help him or should I say, whoa? But here's what I figured out, God, with a little G, you're following me. You're not God, but God loves you. And Jesus is real. And I'm going to pray that he visits you in the middle of the night. In Jesus' name. And breaks your strongholds. And then I look forward to working in ministry with you. We could have Touch Heaven, Wilkshire Boulevard, Los Angeles. I know some people out there. In Jesus' name. All right. Okay. Prophetic. We're in those days. Whereas the sons of Isaac are. Remember the sons of Isaac are? I did this long thing a couple years, three, four years back on, 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 on the journey of Ziklag. And the one thing that happened was it was David's time. He knew when it wasn't his time, but he was put in the place of next that he never thought it would be Ziklag. Who would think Canfield, Ohio could be the place of next? Huh? And so in this wilderness, in this place, the man that God had anointed... We're a people that have been anointed of God to prepare the way. We're a people that have been anointed to God to be a strange people. Not to just assimilate into the ministry system. He has a word for that. It's in Revelation to the church of Laodicea. He has it three temperatures, hot, lukewarm, and cold. The hot is what he wants. The lukewarm he spits out. Cold, he'll tolerate because now you got somebody to work with. And so here we sit in a strange place, just like Ziklag, and God has raised up Isaacars. An interesting thing about those men of Isaacar that came to join unto David, and they brought their families with them, the support system. It says they could fight with both arms, left and right equally well. They knew the weapons of the warfare that they needed. They knew how to keep rank. And they understood the time they lived in and knew what to do. God is raising up Issachars who understand the time they live in. And they're saying, okay, what do we do? And so here we stand, both corporately and with ourselves. Here's what we need to seek. Matthew 6, 33, you know it. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. We went through four months of asking the Lord 
to give us the full revelation of righteousness as best we could receive. We are grounded as the righteousness of God. We know from Corinthians 5.21, He was made sin who knew no sin, that you might be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So we need to seek the kingdom and this righteousness, and He's going to give us everything we need for the vision, for the place of next. God told us no more talismans, no more spiritual talismans where we just say, forgive me, equivalent to voodoo prayers. No more running around casting the blood of Jesus all over inanimate things. That may sound good, it's religious, but it doesn't work, it's not supposed to be. You are the force of God. And the blood of Jesus is for the forgiveness of sins. It's not to fix the radiator in your car. Thank you. Oh, I got people get mad at me with it. Why? Because it's their talisman. It's because, well, I've always done that. I, I, where I came from, that's what we do. Why do you do it? Where is it in the Word of God? Well, I don't, I don't know. One man told me, I'm going to go and find it and come back and see it. And I said, when you do, I'll nail in my, and, 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 and I'll repent to God. He'd come back. He said, it's not in there. I said, no kidding. That's why we build on the foundation of the Word of God. Get rid of the talismans. Quit saying the same prayers in the same way, expecting the same results. Move with the freshness of God. Move with a revelation of God, but move! Get rid of the now I lay me down to sleep prayers. It's good for our children. We teach them. It's not good for you. God's got a little bit more he wants to talk with us about. Leave yourself open in the watches of God. When you awaken and you think it's just to go to the bathroom at one, maybe it's a little bit more. You know, God controls your physique too. Yeah, he got everything. He pushes all the buttons. So he's calling us to a greater awareness. Jesus says, as he said, remember Lot's wife. The place of next. How about Moses? I'm just going to boil this one down quick. God does all the wonderful things he does with Moses, takes him from one place to another place, matures him, works on him, sends him out totally inefficient, inadequate. He's thinking without what he needs, except he forgot that God has everything he needs. My God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and he'll give you everything you need. God always gives the provision for the vision, but he doesn't necessarily give you the provision ahead of time. He's got it all stored up. I saw it. I saw it on my way walking to the place of next. All the materials stored up, stacked, perfectly staged, ready to be used. But you've got to start building in order for the materials to go in. And so that's what I received from the Lord. As I was praying, son, are you ready to build again? I said, yes, Lord, let's go. Last time we did this and a worldwide ministry in a bunch of places in the middle of nowhere that have become something and somewhere. So I'm pretty excited about what God's going to do. I don't know what it is, but it's about to happen. And all the materials are there. All the supplies are there. And it's time for us not to look back. But we have to walk. We have to move. We have to tell the Lord we're ready for something new. All things are new. Old things have passed away. You're a new creation in Christ, but we need to begin to act and walk and talk 
and believe like a new creation in Christ. Not just be comfortable with the old wine of being an old new creation, but saying, Lord, every day is a new day. Every day is an opportunity. And this year could be the best year of your life, but I'm believing God the next one is going to be even better. Not because of a new year, but because we're going to keep pressing on and reaching out. We're not going to quit. We're not going to quit. We're not going to quit. We're not going to give up. We're not going to surrender to a system that wants us to surrender. We're going to be more radical than we've ever been. That's hard for me to say. I'm so radical that even the radical people don't want me with them. <laughs> That's a fact. I'm so radical that you probably read it. Newsweek wrote about me last week because I called Potus Shield a spiritual weapon. They didn't know what that was. It confused them. But they wrote it, and the world saw that there's a spiritual weapon that's working for the kingdom of God. And that that weapon has a shield and it has a spear. And we know how to use them. And we use them with prayer. We use them with worship. We use them with fasting. We use them with faith. Now this revelation came to me in the middle of the night as I was pondering this most of the night. I said, Lord, I know that you have everything formed before I'm born. I know that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of which is not seen. So I know that now faith brings things that are already waiting into existence now. And I know somehow you perfect them even though I mess them up. I know all of that. But Lord, tell me, what is it that we should do to agitate, to accelerate, to help bring about and activate the place of now, of next. And the Lord said to me, son, do you remember the mustard seed? I said, yes, of course I remember the mustard seed. He said, really? He said, do you really, really, really understand the mustard seed? And that's the way God's telling me you don't. I said, well, Lord, and as the old prophet said, thou sayest, right? Here's what I got. Mark 4, chapter 30, verse 32. And he said, how shall we picture the kingdom of God? Look at that question. How can I see it? How do I envision it? Without a vision, the people perish. We need a vision. Write the vision on the tablets. Keep it. So how do we write something? How do we see it? So that's a good question. Ask to the Lord. What shall we liken the kingdom of God? And in the English standard, it says, how shall we picture? I like that. How shall we picture the kingdom of God? I don't know about you, but once I got that picture, and once I've, I, I have it in my head and in my spirit, and once I hold on to it, then nothing can erase it. I want the picture. I want to see with the Spirit. I want, the, I want to be a seer. The word in the Hebrew is chazah. I want to see what it is in the spirit realm. And that's what's being asked. How can we see this picture of the kingdom of God or by what parable shall we present it? And Jesus said it's like a mustard seed 
which when sown upon the soil, it is smaller than all the seeds that are upon the soil. Stop. Stop. There's a lot of other seeds on the soil. I, I just glazed over that many times. Oh, I know about the tares and the this and the that. Who planted those other seeds? We did. This is the smallest one of what we planted. So that means that what I planted isn't as significant as this new small one I need to plant. It means that, yes, that was a good work, the Lord says, but get over it, son. Because you planted other seeds, but plant this small one now. Plant a new small mustard seed. You see, we think we planted it once and that's it. It grew into a big tree, but it does. But is that the only tree? Is that the old next or is that the place of next? Beloved, it starts with a small mustard seed. A new, fresh mustard seed. You know what makes me happy about that? It means that we can do it. We can do it because we're small. We can do it because it's a small mustard seed and there's a whole bunch of other seeds. But it's going to grow bigger than the other seeds. And listen to this. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all of the other garden plants. Who planted those? You did. You have a lot of other garden plants. And maybe that garden plant was a good thing of God at the time that he called it. We plant churches, they're good. But is that where we stop? Is that where we stop? Or do we plant new mustard seeds? And and what is that mustard seed? What type of a seed is it? You know, the identity of everything that's in that that grows is in that little seed. Everything's in there. It's preserved from when God created. On that day in Genesis, all of the plants and herbivores and all that stuff, it's all from there. And it's been preserved in that code. And there's a spiritual code to what we plant. And that spiritual code is rooted in the righteousness of Christ. And what brings it forth is our faith. And what brings it forth is us doing it. And what brings it forth is us not looking back. And all of a sudden, it begins to grow. And it becomes larger than all the other garden plants and forms large branches so that the birds of the air can nest under its shade. Who are the birds of the air? People. 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 In the kingdom of God, he says, I know every bird that falls, and I know every hair on your head. In this parable, the birds of the air come to nestle under the kingdom, seeds that God gives us to grow. Here's what I thought about. It's the Jewish part of me. <laughs> what happens if 100 people plant 100 mustard seeds together with the same spiritual code? Come on. Oh, come on, come on, come on, come on. Come on, that's all you got. Let me say it again. What happens if 100 people plant 100 mustard seeds together with the same spiritual DDA? What happens? What happens if it multiplies to 1,000, to 10,000? I see the trees blowing. I see the picture. And I'm renewed. My faith is renewed. Because I don't have to worry about what's already in the garden. We're planting new stuff 
in the garden. All things are new. And in your life, the same thing. Don't just eat from the same old garden. Plant some new mustard seeds in it. And stay obedient to it. Work it. Water it. Believe it. And let it grow. Let it grow. I'm closing. Luke 13, 18, 19. Just so you know, what I just said to you is formed in the word of God. Luke 13, 18 and 19. So he was saying, what is the kingdom of God like and to what should I compare it? And Jesus answered, this is Luke's version of the same thing. It is like a mustard seed, which a man took and threw, <laughs> and threw into his own garden. I like that translation. What's this one say? Man took and put into his own garden. The right interpretation, I believe, is through. And you know what else? Remember what he said to us last week and he said the word project, P-R-O-J-E-C-T? And we determined it also means, if you pronounce it differently, project. Thrust. Throw. We're to project. Throw it into whose garden? Your own garden. You see these? These are planted in the foundation garden of this house. Ralph was led prophetically. I thought maybe he was having a moment. I didn't know what was happening when he was <laughs> running around with him and Brian with chalk. And then I said, wow, we're bringing those mustard seeds back. We're replanting them. But with a different code. Not the code of what was here in 1797, not what was here in 1810 when the church moved, not what it was when it burned in 1830, not what it was when it burned in 1890, not what it was in 1851 when it was moved, not what it was when different people came in and out of here before we came back. It's got our code. It's got the code of what God gave us to do. And if we're walking together, this code is in you too. We're a strange people. We're very strange people. We're prophetically strange, but we're grounded on the Word of God. We're not ashamed of prophetic because we don't just embrace prophetic. We're not about to try and sell prophetic. We're not about to trade prophetic. We're not about to impress with prophetic, but we're not going to ignore it either because the Word of the Lord goes forth. And when that Word Lord goes forth, mustard seeds grow, and they plant up. Finally, this. Philippians 1.6. Hmm. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. Can you imagine Paul? Paul so sorely wanted to see the return of Christ. But he knew after he had visited the third heaven, he wasn't going to see it. That's why he said, I'm betwixt two worlds. I don't know whether to stay here or to go there. I, I know I'm going, but, I, but, 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 but he's coming. The day of Christ is coming. He's going to plant on Mount Zion. I don't know all the details, and those who say they do, they're fools. Just being honest. We're better off to say Come, Lord Jesus, come. Just find me worthy. 
Find me worthy, oh God. Let me run my race. Help me to run my race. Take me to the next place of next. And when that one's done, Lord, don't leave me there. Don't let me become a wall fixture. Take me to the next place of next. Not looking back, but pressing on to prepare the way for Jesus. What a calling. What a calling. What an opportunity. What a responsibility. We need to do what we can do. And we need not to be hindered. says he is the door come through that door to the place of next the shepherd knows his sheep and we know his voice follow him through the door to the place of next offering. We need to worship. While we're worshiping, if you'd like an envelope, just put your hand up, please. If you're online, you can go and donate to whatever you, you do.
nurture 